In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are blessed with a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him everywhere he goes. Raymond Wong Jr. Thank you, thank you. Oh, this economic economic donut is so delicious. <laughs> this is episode number 45. We are in season three, and the name of this episode is Donut Time our sustainable responsibility so those of you who follow us along um sometime in season two we introduced you all to donut economics and uh today we're going to revisit just a piece of the donut Mm, so tasty specifically we want to zero in on um because you know the whole donut concept is so big we're zeroing in today on uh, a little nugget of sustainability that's coming out of another country that we can learn something from, which is pretty dang exciting. And um, many thanks to you, Ray, for picking up on this and sharing it through Citizen Do Good. And now we have an opportunity to opine on the podcast. So let's jump into it. The future is barreling towards us. And right now, our way of living is highly unsustainable. I am reading word from word. Thank you, Raymond. Your words were wonderful on Facebook. Inspiration from this episode comes to us from Sweden. That was a big ass. Sorry, everybody. In Sweden, there's only 1% of their trash that ends up in a landfill. So if it gives you any sense of what we're talking about sustainability, it's about today we're talking about the full life cycle of a product. Like what happens when you're done using it right we're so focused on the consumer side of it we aren't really paying much attention to the end of life for these products and it's high time over time we have that consideration at the front of our mind when we're actually buying things so inspiration in sweden only one percent in landfills were as where's the united states i think the statistic was 50 percent that's correct, 50%. And you imagine that's not, you've got some cities that are towing the line because I think San Francisco has an extremely low landfill or at least a goal of zero. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we have composting and, and recycling, but mm, kind of still in the traditional sense, not like what we're going to talk about today. Right. But we've got cities like yours and, and others that are to, really leading this effort, but I'm sure there are many cities that just have plenty of landfill. Like There's tons of landfills around the valley, so I know we're not a leader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, gosh. And we'll talk a little bit. Well, maybe we won't talk a little bit about the you know joke that recycling is in the United States. I think we decided that's going to be a standalone topic. That'll be a separate episode because it's just so meaty. So today, though, um, enter Center Stage. I guess it's a company. I don't know what to call it, but the name of it is Rituna. And again, this is in Sweden. It's the world's first secondhand mall. Um, It's a mall that was built right next to a recycling center. And so that, that mall is used to repurpose everything from toys to furniture that's turned into the recycling center by the Swedes. It's pretty inspiring. If I can say that word, it, it, it was it, it was meaningful for me, you know, because we 
we have this major consumer driven economy. It's, it's the envy of the world, I suppose. You know, we have to ask what we're handing on to our children and, and this, this economy that continues to inflate uh, as we're hearing from all the major news media, media and such, maybe the inflation really is because we're, we're throwing things around and we've created this situation where our waste is our own worst enemy. It's out there in the background generating um, all kinds of pollution, filling up the ground, taking up real estate, space that could be used for other things in the future. So I do think that uh, this, this example was surprising to me because I saw a parallel with what we have, tons of garbage, so much that we used to export it, but nobody wants it right now, um, but ton, tons of garbage. And we also have a lot of dying shopping malls. So this, I think for all of us and our listeners, it should kind of speak to you. All of you have a mall in your neighborhoods or your city somewhere that was a place to go, but is now fading. And it's got a lot of empty space that could be used for just this, just this effort. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, if you go to Citizen Duguid's Facebook page, there's a video uh, associated with this topic. And you know, it was really neat. I mean, I mentioned that the recycle center is located right next to the mall. But what's m- interesting about it is that full picture where the mall contains what a dozen or something stores, they're all specialty and, you know, apparel or whatever, you know, various electronics whatever the type of store you might expect to see in a mall. Um, But this is designed, these stores are designed to bridge the full scope of the content that's going to be coming into the recycling center, right? And so they get literally the way this works, the way I understood it worked, and you can keep me honest because you're closer to it than I am. Um, The people who don't want anything anymore, they just, we would call it a donation here in the United States and maybe you'd get a tax write-off on it. (laughs) But basically they're giving their stuff away to the recycling center or donating it if it's in the US. And then um, they pick up that stuff, they refurbish it, and then they give it for free to the stores in the mall. And the malls sell the product and they pay rent. They pay rent on their stores in the mall. They don't pay for the refurbished product. Now, you know, this is where we'd have to figure out how we translate this model into each of our local communities on a case-by-case basis. But what Sweden happened to do in that local community is that the government kicked in some dollars, right? So the facility that's managing the repurposing of these donated items is covered essentially by tax dollars. And now, if you think about it in the United States today, it, let me just use the example I'm most close to San Francisco. We have a company called Recology and Recology contracts with the city to manage all of our compost recycling, et cetera. Um, But it's a pretty intimate relationship. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know, it's a city contract essentially that funds, you know, you may call it, it's a private company, but there aren't many private companies contracting with Recology. So it's a private company, but it's only contracts are with like the cities in the area. So even if you today you don't think that there's um, your tax dollars are funding your trash and recycle and all that stuff, they are one way or another, even if it's a private company on the label of the truck that comes by. So I just caution everybody, don't get too hung up on this being like socialism or communism. It's nothing like that. People are donating the things they don't want, and the state is managing the waste the way it should be managed, which is great. 
And then it works out really well for these malls, right? It's not the point of the mall. It's the point of those stores, those shops, which are all small businesses and they're benefiting from it. And according to that video, all but the Ikea mall shop had what a best year ever during pandemic because the prices are right for those products. Right. The, uh, because they're getting these products, they can set their own prices. There's no rules there, but the Ikea store did suffer. It was on a six month project from the information that's available out there. Uh, and hopefully, the, but that's, that's the right step in the right direction. We'll see more companies step in the social direction. Frankly, how many companies are not already doing this, Mike? How many times have you not seen that refurbished product available when you're mm. shopping for new products, right? So there's mm. already a market out there. Now they're, they're, they're probably paying them, pricing them insanely high. Uh, if there was a real market of you know, goods that you could get that have been refurbished, like an entire mall like this, I'm sure prices would come way down on the corporate sites. So I think with our system, it's all about creating that market. It's all about creating that competition. And, and who better to do it than your local community, people with the skill sets, right? To, to refurbish these products. Yeah. Yeah. And in the back of my mind, I'm even a little bit skeptical about the Ikea thing. Cause it was like Ikea versus all the other stores in the mall. And they didn't say why Ikea didn't do so well, but I could see where Ikea might have a vested interest so that it doesn't do too well. Cause it could compete with their standard model. They're not the most expensive furniture out there. So <laughs> they probably don't want to cannibalize their own customers or something. But I, I thought it was notable that they didn't go into any explanation as to why the Ikea store didn't perform at the same level as all the other shops in that mall. So it's interesting because it's the only one that has a major corporation associated with it. There's something to be said about marketing, you know, and when you throw Ikea furniture into just a warehouse. I mean, the, the nor I know Ikea warehouse is that, that, but they really doll it up and it looks really cool and they make everything look really, like it didn't look like it had the same pizzazz, right? So it just might be that simple issue. L less of that space to play, less of the imagination that happens in a typical Ikea store that gets you to purchase that thing. Yeah, you're right. The Ikea experience isn't there which it is, right? You have to start in the beginning and go all the way to the end. <laughs> there are very few opportunities to cut through. It's frustrating, in my opinion. Anyway, I digress. This isn't about Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> it's about sustainability. Sustainability and speaking of that, small business. So I think that was the segue you wanted to go into before I derailed it. I suppose so, because small business is the answer to is the answer to, I suppose, everything. I don't see another way. You know, every major business was a small business at one time, right? Any, any big product started small. I think it's really important that we, and continue to push on that as one of our core solutions. And again, Michael and I, we were talking about small businesses solution a year ago. So then stumbling across a video like this, and having an opportunity to say, oh, this really sounds like an ample opportunity. Now, the problem is it's going to take some really powerful people to get behind this, right? This, the citizens, uh, the government, et cetera. So I think it's a matter of self-rule, right? So the small business owners right now are some of the 
most powerful people in the communities. So I'm really looking for them to step up and see the benefit of, of, of a major recycling effort or more sustainable programs uh, for the city. But city leadership, it's going to take that without a doubt. Totally. Yeah. And to steal from the next bullet we have out here, um, the age of self-rule that we're in, you know, we're fortunate enough to be born in a time and place in the United States where citizens still have a modicum of power with their vote. You know, it means we can innovate. We, we can, we can replace the dinosaurs of old industry and start, you know, scaling from small businesses or just, really support like back to our previous call we we would love to see a proliferation of small business you know we have a lot of ideas about how you take the risk or how you help people take the risk of becoming their own small businesses because at the end of the day it's one of the best ways to generate wealth if it's not property ownership um, which is a whole nother ball game but i think that for us you know we're, 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 we are willing to bet uh, towns and cities are much older than this globalization model that's going on. And we believe that it's entirely reasonable that the model of neighborhoods and local Main Street will be the place for the future economy to thrive. And if we are really community focused on these solutions, we might even see the malls thrive, you know, a different type of mall than we knew in the past. And one that actually, like, what I can't remember, or sorry, sorry, before the malls failed, what I recall is we would go to the mall just to walk around because it was too expensive to buy things. And then you go to the department store and buy it for a much cheaper amount. So I believe that, again, the malls were built with an original purpose but they may come back in a resurgence with this main street focus. And, and again, we're such a large country now that main street can't just be that one mile in the middle of town, right? There, there need to be main streets, many main streets across America. But again, this, this centralization model that we're pushed towards as Americans is very problematic. There needs to be many, many downtowns, not just one only. I know that's not great for the cities, but um, frankly, I don't think they want the traffic, says San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, and I think it, it begs us just from the circular economy approach and the donut economy approach for us to be cleaning up our streets and you know, actually considering the end of life for all products that get produced rather than just for it to get sold one time. And that's it, someone else's problem, what happens to it after that. that, that model has run its course. And if, you know, every community, I mean, I think every community out there probably even has like a, 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 a dumpster lot or something, right? If you think about the garbage, the mattresses, the TVs, the discarded vacuum cleaners, whatever the heck it is when you're driving down one street or another and you see it discarded outside, that was potentially, you know, a functional piece of something that should have been put back into use. Um, and now it's really becoming waste, right? It goes into a state of disrepair. Whereas if we had a place where people can just deliver those things to, and they don't have to pay a fee, you know, because today a lot of people, you have to pay a fee to go dump your trash, um, that it would totally switch things around and then supply affordable products to these stores. I mean, it's also kind of an anti-inflation move in a way right 
um, if people's dollars, if we're not willing to pay them 15 to $20 an hour and their dollars start becoming worth less, then we need an option for people to be able to buy more with those dollars. Just makes sense. I mean, there's just so many aspects that it makes sense too, just not to the status quo, right? Not to the current system. On that note, time for us to take a break. Here's a message from our sponsor, Citizen Do Good. Even though you've heard it before, it's still true. The war is never over and every battle counts. I know you are tirelessly demonstrating good citizenry on the daily through your actions and your words and donating your time and your money to causes that count. Thank you. The time is now to deeply re-examine our current implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day. We're a proud sponsor of the Citizens Prerogative Podcast, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power of change for us all. At Citizen Do Good, we want to empower all citizens to participate in the Republic in a reconstructive way. With that goal in mind, we need your help to stay on mission and grow this community. Please rate the podcast with five stars on iTunes through the app on the web or on your device. If you don't feel you can give us five stars, let us know why on our sponsor's Facebook page, Citizen Do Good. Also, make sure you join our newsletter at citizendogood.com. I promise you'll get updates every couple of months or every few months on all of our antics, not just the podcast. While you're there, check out the shop, which has specialty merch and provides a way to make a one-time contribution that helps us pay for production and for hosting. Please feel free to share any suggestions you have directly through the contact us page. Thanks for your support. You know, living in what's supposed to be one of the greatest nations in the world, I cannot for the life of me understand why we have so many empty strip malls. Why do we have these huge, uh, basically relics of big box stores that came and went bookstores that failed all these different masters of the economy at one time it's just we're in a really weird state as as a country and i don't know who is to blame is it the landowners that want the high rent who's keeping these small businesses from starting up or is it just because they become land deserts uh, or, or commerce deserts, if you will. No one's willing to step back into these strip malls unless there's an anchor, but it seems like the anchors are gone. It does seem like more and more, it becomes a responsibility of the state just a bit to help encourage opportunity. And we're not saying the state comes in and opens a store, that's communism, okay? But the, if the state creates a supply, if you create a supply, and say so here is all this available supply of product that we're making available for free. Believe me, they will come. It's like the field of dreams, right? We'll call it the strip mall of dreams, right? If you, if you build yeah. it, they will come. So you're telling this, me the city doesn't have enough power to get those landowners to turn over the building temporarily as a warehouse to do an experiment, to do a project. Or you're telling me the city doesn't have enough money to pay rent? Okay, so you, it, it's just a matter of will. It's, it's, it seems more and more, Mike, that it's a political will issue. And, and the, the, the people that are at the seat of government that are supposed to be the organized ones and coordinating this are not, which is why self-rule is such an important, either to create the accountability 
accountability pressure or to do it ourselves, right? Because I think our government allows us to organize, thankfully, and kind of self-solution this. Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, we have a dearth of vision. We're, we're missing a lot of vision, too, because everybody's constrained by how to make the most profit from a situation when that isn't always the best solution. And just to reiterate, too, the point on the point you were making, as far as a state or city investment goes, it's only in refurbishing the products. I mean, on the Swedish model, the only place they're involved is collecting and turning the product around. After that, the stores are responsible for selling it and paying the rent. So it becomes, it's almost like a, it's this very slight intermediary role that the state inserts itself into to help facilitate market capitalism. Because <laughs> after that point, it's just capitalism. So you got a free, you know, your, your supply on your product is cost free, you know, that that's, that is what the state is helping to happen. But then the, the, you know, what gets paid forward is the opportunity for these small businesses to generate revenue, people to actually have products that they need to have at a price that makes sense for the world, like for our environment. So it's like a very holistic way about using as little public money as possible to spur economic activity in a way. I mean, if I can, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And, but I, is the, do you, I mean, this is a whole nother episode, but I hope that um, the corporations are not putting their thumb on these efforts, <laughs> right? Because it's not good for them, right? Purchasing no. new product, the right to repair is not good for corporations. And I think that's a key piece here, the right to repair and that ability. Now, they may not putting their thumbs on it, but they could be lifting it. And so I do thank Ikea again. They're not sponsors, nothing like that, but I was happy to see ikea and i hope they keep doing it because making a profit like you said it's not always the most important thing if the general company's profitable then in a sense they it's a corporate responsibility thing all right well, why don't we slide into some calls to action um so the, the first the first note we have up here for call to action so all this is happening for the example we've been talking about in sweden today it's basically at a local level i mean sweden's a relatively small country in Europe. So, um, but it's local to this particular municipality. I can't remember the name of the town, but it was a town where back in the 1970s, their steel industry disappeared. Hmm. Sound familiar? <laughs> There's a lot of ghost towns in America, similarly situated where their heyday primary industry went away. And, and in this town, the Swedes were able to create this economy, this additional economy of activity going on. And, um, it's very hopeful. So that though, the reason why I bring that up is because it's happening at a local level. And so here in the United States, that's where we tend to, as citizens, tend to have the most power and authority with our vote um, and our ability to comment on the decisions that our municipalities are making. So at the local level, we can explore recreating this model for us, for, for the way it would work in each of our communities and do it in a systemic way it's that makes it resilient you know where trash is turned into another person's gold and sold in a responsible and sustainable way um you know and it's not just on the backs of salvation army goodwill buffalo exchange <laughs> that we actually create these marketplaces these robust marketplaces where many small businesses can participate i think would be really valuable 
and 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 since you and thank you for bringing up goodwill because many of you will say i donate to goodwill i do it but goodwill itself is a for-profit company it's not necessarily considered small business anymore by any means and so we, we are looking at a sustainable model means competition a much larger marketplace than 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 frankly goodwill could handle in fact goodwill had to dump they had to pay a million dollar trash bill because they couldn't handle the influx of items coming in during the pandemic so they won't be able to scale they cannot scale they need the public's help exactly that's a great point ray um, and there's another side effect of trying to take some action in this space, um, even if it's just in your own thoughts, <laughs> changing our thoughts can feel like an action. So we hope that the seed is getting planted to help you, all of us, think more end-to-end -end about the full life cycle of our purchases and the long-time standing practices of allowing marketing to divorce us from the true costs of unbridled and unconsidered consumption, right? The, the consumer economy of the 1950s is dying and it's killing the earth with it. And so it's time for us to start implementing new models from the ground up in order to replace it with something that's better. So then the burden comes to you to begin finding out how your town can get better at recycling, reducing, reusing, and repurposing, as well as composting and capturing biogases from landfills. I mean, when we look at countries like Sweden, it doesn't just stop at this revolutionary new kind of like mall repurposing. Um, there's a lot of things that they've been doing from a sustainability perspective that we can learn from and benefit from. And we can do, the, do it differently in our communities and we can do it on scales that are differently, but it all starts with us thinking differently, thinking about different, thinking differently about consuming about buying and what's going to happen with those things. And there's places that are doing the right thing. Um, I always pay an extra tax when I shop in California. I think there's a, some sort of electronic recycling tax, right? But my question is what's happening to the money. It should be going to programs like this. It should be mm -hmm. going to a mall to recycle these products. Right? So is it, I, I just, I, I understand the punitive nature but it shouldn't be prohibitive. It should be, it should be creating that sustainable environment, right? In that sense. So, yeah. um, but that is good news, right? Maybe you'd feel better purchasing in California because you know they, are, they have this super sustainable environment uh, where they're uh, recycling their products. There's accessibility to these devices. It could be a beautiful thing, which is a little less profit, marginally less profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I have a skeptical eye as to exactly how effective the recycling fee is here because I recently had a cell phone die and I won't tell you how difficult, but it was difficult to figure out what to do with that phone because in order to send it anywhere, they want it to work. My phone was dead. Nobody wants a dead phone, but it still has a battery that can't go in a landfill. And so I had looked up like three, who knows what these things were. Half of them weren't even open. They don't have websites. I was like, okay, I, I'm not doing that. So in any case, I am skeptical as to how effective our 
environmental recovery recycle fee thing is is going I, I think it would be better if we had something more tangible to see and to take it like to a place like this um what's it called i already forgot the name of it so bad retuna <laughs> if we had a retuna i know i would feel a lot more I'd feel i'm sorry it just sounds like a sushi restaurant it's not your fault <laughs> You're thinking it's not your fault. It's Dutch, or you know, they're thinking you're you're expecting something different. Yeah, I think it's like a retune, retune, tune-up. But I, every time I see it, I just think you're you're making you're you're making tuna out of tuna. <laughs> anyway, I digress. That's the end of our episode for today. Thank you, everybody. We have been your hosts. Thank you to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr. And thank you, Mr. Piscatelli. This has truly been a reuse responsible reuse of a conversation (laughs) i love bringing it back to donuts they're so good thank you for the time it's been something that's for sure for information on this and other episodes head over to citizendogood.com and click on podcast while you're there hit up the contact us page and leave a comment we'd love to hear from the community special thanks to you our listeners we save the best for last you are the best and you have been for years thank you for your support we know it's painful and we love you Intro music sampled from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty-free through Fisley and Studios, Inc.